Liz, I'm sure you recall that back in episode eight, we discussed the infamous Bob Costas interview with Jerry Sandusky and it, the impact that it had on the entire case. And I shared my thoughts on what I believed to be Bob's true feelings about the case. Well, as fate would have it, after the episode dropped, and by the way, you predicted this because I said that Bob Costas would not do an interview with us, and I didn't even bother to, to ask him for an interview, and you indicated that he might do so. Bob actually reached out to me, and we had two pretty lengthy phone conversations where he wanted to clarify what his actual position on this is, at least in, in a public form. And uh, we agreed that he would do an interview with us uh, to make that clarification. Now, for context, since this interview was sparked by my comments back in episode eight, we're going to play back a three or four minute clip from the episode where you and I discuss what I believed to be Bob's opinion. I have um, emailed with Bob Costas dozens of times uh, over the course of this case. Yeah. And um, I, I am 100% convinced that Costas has grave doubts about Sandusky's uh, guilt. Uh, I, I don't have uh, something where I can... You I know, wonder he, why he does after that interview. I mean, that interview... Because I think that he believed Amendola about victim two when Amendola told him. Facts. I, I, he, I mean, he's right. You got to remember, I actually think that Cost, that was part of why Costas wanted to do the interview. He hears Amendola say, they, wait a minute, hold on. There's, you mean that he might be innocent? I, I think that's an even more compelling interview than, than you know, Jerry Sandusky monster. Um, now, clearly, the way the interview went, it cemented any doubt in anyone's mind but let me just say with and costas can speak for himself although unfortunately based upon i wish we could get him. Uh, unfortunately based upon mark pendergrass's experience he's not going to speak for Wait, himself you never but, know but i am uh I, I believe that bob costas is very much in the malcolm gladwell uh, category here uh, that the allegations against paterno and the penn state administrators are are balderdash uh, and that the case against Sandusky, to use Gladwell's words, is shrouded in doubt. And that that's as far as they're willing to go publicly because of the toxicity of this case. But it is extraordinary. It cannot be overemphasized, overemphasized that Bob Costas, one of the main reasons people think Jerry Sandusky is guilty, clearly has grave doubts now and i think that's putting it mildly all these years later and by the way why would he even be communicating with me uh, all these years later i mean i'm toxic in myself so just the just by virtue of the fact that uh, you know we routinely so you don't have, think he's going to come out and deny everything that we're talking about right now no, no i don't think no would, i, I would, don't think he'll deny it no no i mean I, I have enough emails to where that would be very difficult for him to do um but I, he's never gonna i don't think he will never say anything about this in in either direction why? he said uh, something about the nfl right. you know he came out and said this is why i'm not on nbc anymore well i think this is apples and oranges i mean this, is, really? this is a far oh, more know. toxic story than than uh saying the nfl was doing you know these guys are having well, he concussion didn't, he problem didn't, and he didn't want to do nfl broadcasting anymore that's a different story than okay. having your entire 
persona and career destroyed. I mean, look what happened to Joe Paterno, for God's sakes. Joe Paterno has been erased from history. Yeah, that's how, uh, <laughs> I mean, that erasing from history is such a dangerous thing. Okay. But what I, All right. Okay. So, so that's... What the, I'm saying is Bob Costas was willing to go on national television and tell the truth about the NFL. So you don't think he, I mean, you know, he doesn't want to come forward with the truth. I've tried for okay. many years. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't think there's any chance. I think the Mark Pendergrast uh, example pretty much proved that Bob Costas is not going to allow uh, his real opinions about this to be to be known, although I would be more than thrilled if he ever provided uh, his true opinion. Uh, now, now, if if uh, Jerry Sandusky ever got a new trial and was acquitted, I think Bob Costas would probably you be— can't wait till it's safe. <laughs> Right. The thing I mean, about you, Zig, is, you know, you haven't waited till it's safe. You're not playing anything safe here. So as I said there, Liz, I am very interested and open to hearing what Bob's real opinions are. And if it's different than what I suggested, then I'm all in favor of the record being cleared up. And thankfully, he's agreed to actually speak to us. And so let's do that now. Bob Costas, welcome to With the Benefit of Hindsight. So, Bob, you contacted John after you heard part of Episode 8, and John said on that episode that he was virtually certain that you believe Sandusky is innocent. So John based that on some interactions that he had with you. Um, So I want to clarify. Since we have you, let's clarify this exactly. What Mm -hmm. is your view of this issue? And what I understand now is that Sandusky was guilty as charged, at least of the vast majority of the 47 or 48 counts. But I say that without having been uh, deeply involved in any of it for many years. John has his theory of the case. He's very well informed. But let's say this were actually being argued in a court of law, a defense of his theory of the case. The prosecution has their theory of the case. Each of them, if they're competent, would be much better informed than the average person, including someone like me who might not be the average person, but who has not been immersed in this for the last several years. My involvement in the case, as you know, is the interview that actually introduced the whole case uh, and Sandusky himself to the American public, and which led many people to decide that, in fact, he was guilty. I think I did my job competently in that context. Subsequently, I did a number of shows on NBCSN when I briefly had a show tonight that was devoted to this sort of thing. Uh, I spoke with Joe Posnanski, who had just come out with a biography of Joe Posnanski. I had on a group of people, including uh, the late former attorney general and governor of Pennsylvania, Richard Thornburg, who wrote a response to the free report I presented their position. I invited Louis Free to come on and Mark Emmert from the NCAA to come on. They declined. Uh, I did a number of programs of topics, and then that program went away for reasons that are irrelevant now. So since then, I have had a platform to investigate this sort of thing or to give people a chance to express whatever their view might be. Back in the day, I had a radio show. Um, I used to have a show on HBO. Uh, 
I'm a contributor now at CNN, but I don't control programs. I come on for five minutes. They ask me something about an intersection between sports and society. I give my answers. So um, John has been in touch with me over time. He knows that I feel that while Joe Paterno was negligent in, in many respects uh, and culpable to some extent, the idea that, that he would be all but written out of Penn State history, the statue comes down, his entire life is a fraud, uh, not just the football victories, but his commitment to philanthropy and, and to higher education, all of it's a fraud and he's a villain. Uh, I have made it clear that I do not believe that that is a fair or proportionate read of all the facts, as I understand them, and that I think that the free report was substantially flawed. I'm well enough informed to reach that decision. I am not remotely well enough informed to say that I believe that Jerry believed no such thing. Uh, I would have to be as deeply immersed in all of this as John has been to reach any conclusion, whether it aligns with John's conclusion the other way around. So that is an incorrect inference by John. Um, when he has sent me some of his material over time, and uh, I think he would understand that uh, I can't absorb everything that people send my way, but I try, if it's worthy of my attention, to, to at least give it a glance and sometimes a deep dive, but not always a deep dive. So my responses to John on occasion have been, this is very interesting, thank you for sending it, that sort of thing. But I have never said to John, either verbally or, I agree with your conclusion. And, and Bob, thank you for providing us with that clarification, and I think you know this, I never quoted you as saying anything like that, I, and I actually misstated my actual opinion when i listened back to episode eight i actually cringed even before you contacted me uh, about that because i'm like well wait a minute that's that's going too far i i would have probably if i had scripted it said something that i believe that you are very open to the idea that sandusky could be innocent which seems very accurate based upon what you just said and also rather remarkable that but you as you've already indicated that you don't have a great deal of interest in that particular subject. You don't have a great deal of education in that particular subject. By the way, I look forward to the opportunity to finally convincing you, like I've convinced many other people uh, over the years, uh, over the last 10 years, but this isn't the right time for that. I, I want to use the short time we have wisely here. And I guess as a media guy who played a key role in this whole story, Bob, Forgetting about whether or not Jerry Sandusky actually is innocent for a minute, do you do you agree with me that the media and cultural environment that existed when this nuclear bomb goes off in November of 2011, and your interview with Sandusky is certainly part of that environment, that a rush to judgment, and in my theory of the case, the ensuing catastrophic injustice that occurs because of the dominoes of this nuclear bomb. Do you agree, Bob Costas, that the special circumstances needed for the type of injustice I'm talking about existed specifically in the sports news media where they could have blown this the way that I'm describing and now have no ability nor incentive to correct it? Theoretically. I don't know that that's true, but if you're saying that the, that a context existed, uh, a, a dynamic that involved 
not just an understanding of the facts, but uh, but a certain feeling about societal issues, cultural issues, which are serious issues. That that those that could have led to that. Yes. Am I saying I think that's what happened? No. Listen, if somebody asked me on a talk show about the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I know the teams involved, but I'm no longer associated with hockey, and I don't know enough to have a more credible opinion than even the average fan, I say so. (laughs) I don't know. I'll watch the game tonight because it looks like it'll be fun, but I don't know. On the other hand, there are subjects that I have enough knowledge about that I can venture an opinion if I have one. I, I don't that you have you have uh, just outlined a dynamic that could, in theory, have led to an unfair result in whole or in part. But I'm not prepared to say even one percent that I think that is what happened. Bob, for for some reason, we'll stop here for a second. For some reason, your phone is is going out like every thirty seconds. Is there something? Oh, no. On, on your line, is, is there something that, is that, do you have any idea why that might be? I'm going to go to a different place, and maybe that will uh, that will be better. It's weird, because it's on a, on a cycle, it feels like. It feels like it's about every 30 seconds. Does this feel better? Does it sound better? Yeah. A it little does, bit. I think, I think. We won't know until we start. Yeah, we won't. Okay. You, you, want to, you want to pose that question again and just well, start well, over? No, no, was, was no. Was no, everything no, it, prior to that okay? No, it was. It's all usable. It's just like every thirty seconds for about a second and a half, you go dead. It's very weird. Um, I mean, we could. I mean, we could. We can try it and keep try, keep going. I don't want to waste your time. Um, okay. So, hey, Bob, can we pick it up and can I ask you? Since you are, you do know what happened with that interview with Jerry Sandusky, right? So I recall it, and I recall it. It was just stunning. It was stunning when you asked the question, are you sexually attracted to young boys? And there was that pregnant pause, and then he answered. And it was so easy, and I'm an experienced journalist. It was so easy to go, whoa, wow, that's a weird response. Wow, that guy doesn't sound right. That guy's, come on, that guy's guilty. You know how we like to jump to conclusions Mm -hmm. when we hear things. Take me behind the scenes of that, how that interview happened. Because just the fact that you had it, Bob, people like Jerry Sandusky or anybody who's accused of crimes like that, they don't do, they don't do interviews on national television. How did that come about? Well, every person was interested in the story and was trying for whatever the biggest get they could get would be. They were trying to get Paterno. They were trying to get McQuarrie. And what NBC News came up with was Joseph Amendola, Sandusky's attorney. Now, I was technically not part of NBC News, but they felt that because of my sports, my name in convincing Amendola to come up from uh, State College and do the interview, that I would conduct the interview on the news program. It doesn't exist anymore. Rock Center, hosted by Brian Williams. So uh, in the, I read the grand jury report. Uh, I spoke with some experts about uh, predators, about pedophilia, that sort of thing. Uh, I was as well-informed as I could be, and I thought I was about to interview Joseph Amendola. And that interview was to be taped a couple of hours before the airing of the program. And about 15, 20 minutes before we were to roll tape on that interview, 
Amendola said to me, what if I could get Jerry on the phone and you'd interview him on the phone? And my first thought was, this is probably not the smartest move on your part, Mr. Amendola, but my actual answer is, sure, let's do it. So that's how it happened. And the whole time, if you look at the tape, the whole time Amendola is sitting spiked. And I did ask him some questions after we ended with Sandusky. I did ask him some questions. But at some point during the questioning of Sandusky, Amendola could have jumped in to clarify or to say, I'm going to advise Jerry not to respond to that. Can I ask you again, Bob, about Joe Amendola? Because you're saying he was sitting right there. You asked him a couple questions, and he never stopped Jerry Sandusky. Did Joe Amendola seem to understand the magnitude of an interview like that? In retrospect, I'd say he didn't. Um, It certainly didn't help us in any way. It convicted him in the court of public opinion, I think it's fair to say. Uh, And at trial, one of the uh, arguments made was that uh, Sandusky, and I imagine this would be made on appeal as well, that Sandusky did not receive adequate counsel, uh, and so at least aspects of the case should be reconsidered. That's what John believes, that he absolutely didn't receive adequate counsel. I have to agree with that as I watched it, too. As you reflect back and you look at that interview and what happened with it, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I knew it was impactful as it was happening. I knew it was impactful. From the standpoint of just a broadcasting situation, it was very unusual, and that's an understatement. It is extremely unusual, even in one-on-one conversation, unless, unless you were in the, most, the deepest, most personal conversation. You don't maintain eye contact with the other person for 15 or 20 continuous minutes. That would actually be weird. We tend to look away. We move our heads. We look around the room, whatever it might be. But the dynamic of this was that there wasn't a shot. If the person is sitting across from you, uh, he or she is answering. They can take a shot of him or her. They can take a shot of you listening. They can take a wide shot that has both of you. All they had of Jerry Sandusky were three or four, the extent of the B-roll that was available. And they went to that every now and again to the point where it was repetitive. You saw the same ones over and over. But I never knew when that was happening. So all I could do while he gave his answers, was to maintain instant eye contact with the camera, but also never betray any emotion. If I nodded, as you sometimes do in an interview, just to say not necessarily that you agree, but that you're following what the person is saying, "Uh aha, I hear you, if I nodded, that could be an assent of some kind. But if I betrayed any revulsion or rolled my eyes or anything like that, then that would not have been the So not only did I have to maintain eye contact the whole time, I couldn't betray any feeling. And I had to listen carefully because I didn't know what he was going to say. Worst thing you can do in an interview is be locked into question seven. Just ask question six. You have to respond to what is being said. So in that sense, the dynamic of it was not just unusual. It's pretty close to unique. Bob, as as you know, because we've talked about it outside of uh, our our interview here, uh, my theory about what happened between you and Amendola 
is that, uh, and it's fascinating that Joe Mandola is the person who suggested to you, hey, let's talk to Jerry Sandusky, and, and you were shocked by that and, and maybe even indicated this might not be a great idea, as turned out to be. No, I didn't. John, I didn't. I didn't say to him this might not be a good idea. Uh, but You thought no that, convincing. though, didn't you? You thought yeah, that. I, I thought it, yeah. There was no convincing. No one said to Amendola, how about this? Amendola offered it up on a silver platter, right. and all I said was, sure. Of and course you did. A few oh, minutes yeah. later, there I was. Of course you did. And that's exactly what you should have done. And you did a great job on the interview, regardless of its result. But as you know, my theory on what transpired here is that Joe Amendola became enamored with his newfound celebrity. He was very eager to please NBC in general and Bob Costas in particular. He's there. Uh, you know, NBC sends him from State College to 30 Rockefeller Center. He's never been in this situation before, and he's ingratiating himself to you guys. And I also think, Bob, he's overconfident because he believes he has the kid in the McQuarrie episode on his team now. And it is clear that, that, that having him offer up Jerry Sandusky to Bob Costas unprepared is not the act of a lawyer who thinks his client is guilty. That's an act of a reckless lawyer who actually thinks his client is innocent and is delusionally optimistic. So what do you make, having been there, having experienced it, of this dual theory, if you will, that Amendola does this one out of being enamored with this whole celebrity world he's now involved with for the first time, and two, being overconfident because they think they're in a much better position than they really are vis-a-vis the so-called boy in the shower. Seems plausible to me. What you just said seems plausible to me. Do I know it for a fact? Did I have any subsequent, other than maybe one phone call or an email, any subsequent contact with Amendola? No. Any subsequent contact with Sandusky? No. But what you're saying seems plausible. Am I in a position to say I believe it for a fact? I don't think that would be responsible, but it seems plausible. Can we go back to the interview and the eye contact, Bob? Because you you described, I mean, something, like you said, so unique, so different in journalism. What effect that you looked right at the camera, the eye contact, the way the pictures were being intercut with you, what effect did that have on the viewers? I think I asked the right questions, at least I hope I did. And Sandusky, whatever John or others think about the case, ultimately, in that moment, in the court of public opinion, he convicted himself. There were no, there were no unfair questions. There were no gotcha questions. Uh, they were pertinent questions, and he responded to them. To them, and Amendola, who was in a position to salvage something, just never took up the baton. He just sat there. And that, that is really extraordinary. He's sitting next to you. Amendola is sitting next to you. His, his, mm-hmm. his client is convicting himself in the court of public opinion, as you just said. And Amendola never even in any way, shape, or form indicates to you, Bob, we got to stop this. Is that, is that accurate? That's 100% accurate. Bob, you asked that question. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I did ask him some questions after... Uh, we had ended uh, the conversation or interview with Sandusky. Then I did and address him directly, and he answered some questions. But during the questioning of Sandusky, uh, Amendola was silent. And did Amendola know it was a disaster when it was over? 
If he did, he didn't say so to me. Well, could, could he have really been that, you know? Yes. <laughs> I'll answer that question. Bob, yes. Okay. In the moment, the most stunning moment when you asked that question. By the way, did you, the, the question, are you sexually attracted to young boys? You said that you spoke to some people. You did a little research. This is a very, like, it's one of those things. How do you ask the question? So how did you come up with that question? And as right after you said it, and there was that pause, and then he repeated mm-hmm. the question, there you are. It's hard to remember being in that moment, I'm sure. But what went on with you? What was going on when you heard him react like that? And where did that come from, that question? I thought the question was just a straightforward one. Uh, didn't have to uh, surround it with all kinds of uh, additional thoughts, Get right to the point. Mm-hmm. There was. Are you sexually attracted to young boys? And he said what he said and paused a long time before saying it. I thought another telling exchange was at one point he said, and this is kind of an example of you're listening and you're trying to respond to what you're hearing rather than just going down a list of questions. He said, I didn't, I did all the kids I helped. I'm not quoting exactly here. It's been a long time, but something to the effect of all the kids I helped. I wasn't interested in all of them for any other reason or something to that effect. And that, of course, prompted the next question. Well, isn't that actually the M.O. of many child predators? They don't necessarily take advantage. Right. And I think advantage of only a small number of them. And that that to me was a telling exchange. But he set it up himself, necessarily saying uh, I, that doesn't mean that I took advantage of, I don't know if those are the exact words he used, or that I was interested for sexual reasons in all of them, something like that. Right. Uh, I, I, I'm only paraphrasing, and I'm not getting it exactly right, I'm but, sure. No, but Bob, you're close, and you're close enough, and you, I actually agree with you that that was bizarrely more damning then the uh, am I sexually attracted to young boys, which he eventually says no, and it comes right after you asking him, are you a pedophile? He says no, immediately and directly. For some reason, NBC did not play in the uh, in the immediate uh, aftermath of your interview yeah. that particular clip. You and I have discussed what I think really happened there, that, that Jerry was exceedingly inartfully trying to ex- to say, well, wait a minute, I've, I've had I've mentored hundreds and hundreds of kids in the second mile. I have at this point six accusers. How does that make any sense? That's what I think he was trying to say. And he said so horrendously. And yeah. as I and as I have learned. Uh, he is a, a terrible talker and and often responds to questions exactly the way he did to your question, are you sexually attracted to young boys? Uh, Bob, in our remaining moments, and I know our time is short here, I do want to at least ask you about one al- important element of the paternal aspect of this story. And um, you were in a unique position here. Your, your interview and your stature in the sports media uh, meant that your opinion on all of this had far more weight than maybe anybody else's in your profession. Mm-hmm. And, and in 2012, the free report comes out and you are getting ready for the Olympics when the free report comes out. And, yes. and you've acknowledged that you did not have a, an opportunity to fully review the free report before commenting on it publicly. And you have significantly adjusted your public view of the Penn State cover-up theory after the initial release of the free report. Do you agree that the sports news media 
was in retrospect, in hindsight, if you will, far too quick to blindly accept Free's conclusions and have been derelict in their duty to correct the record here. Yeah, at least a good portion of them. And here's just an example of the, I'll use the word again, the dynamics or the circumstances that sometimes happen. Descending into London for uh, the coverage of the 2012 Olympics. You always get there uh, a few weeks ahead. And it's a foreign Olympics to try to acclimate to the time changes and, and get comfortable with all the broadcast center situations and everything. So that's what was happening. And when I land, I'm literally on my way from Heathrow to the hotel. Someone from the Today Show calls. Uh, and since I was associated with the case, the free report has just been released. Um, and all I have is an online New York Times story. And I say to the producer, look, you're going to have to summarize the essence of the free report for me with anyone on the Today Show. I went with the summary they offered. And while I was cautious, as I like to about not overstepping my understanding of the facts, I assumed that the summation that I had and what I read in the New York Times was enough to say that this is pretty damning uh, and it doesn't look good. And I think I said something to the, uh, to the effect of, could a professor uh, get away with something like this without serious consequences? Uh, did Paterno hold a position within the university, understandably, that, that, made, that placed him beyond the normal sanctions or skepticism, however you want to put it, that, that would come to others? That's what I said. Uh, I wish that I had had even a day to review it. Sometimes you get caught up and it's like, well, I, I owe this to them. I'm associated with the story that Today Show wants me to be on. It's a credible platform, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't think I said anything that was terribly wrong, but neither did I say exactly what I came to believe after I had read the Free Report, after I had read the Thornburg Report, after I had talked to people involved with the case. Which is what, exactly, just to be clear? That, that Joe Paterno was not the villain that he was made out to be and that his legacy should not be defined by this. That's the shorthand for what I believe. I am curious, Bob, if I did have the opportunity to to try to convince you that I am right and, and, and add you to a growing list of prominent people who, in retrospect and hindsight, believe that I am right about this case, very high-profile people, both publicly and, and privately, and obviously you know about Malcolm Gladwell's book, Talking to Strangers, mm-hmm. Uh, if I if I had that opportunity, one of the first things that I would ask you about and try to talk to you about is the, the unique element of this case where this was a very strange situation where immediately the cover-up, the alleged cover-up, was used by the prosecution and by the media to, quote-unquote, prove the crime rather than the other way around. Normally, there's a crime that's proven And then you look and go, well, how was this allowed to happen? Was there a cover-up? Immediately, when the nuclear bomb drops in November of 2011, the story in the media is Penn State cover-up possibly led by Joe Paterno, and the prosecution was feeding that. My my question to you, Bob, is if you don't believe in the cover-up and you understand the dynamics of this case, it becomes far more difficult to actually believe that Jerry Sandusky did this for 40 years without anybody knowing anything about it and somehow getting away with it. Does that resonate with you at all? 
the beginning, the premise of uh, discrediting the idea of a widespread uh, I tend to agree with. The next step or leap that this leads one to believe that, therefore, the whole case is fraudulent, uh, I, I, I'm not going there, not because of timidity, but because, if I believe something, whether uh, those I work with uh, would rather, rather I not say it, if it's important enough, some portion of the audience is going to be offended by it. If I believe it and I think it's important and I have a credible point of view and it matters, I'll say it. I think my track record has proven that. I'm not a f- and to call attention to myself, but I had a position on network television that was unlike those of most of my colleagues who I admire and respect, but they're less inclined to go there. My feeling has always been that while uh, more in-depth things could be done uh, in, uh, in other platforms, if someone on network television says something and reaches that large an audience, it has, it has a greater impact if it's done responsibly and if you're well-informed. Uh, so I'm not going to say either here or anywhere else until I am fully informed and, and to, to, to grab a phrase beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, unless I feel that, I'm not going there, because that would be an abuse of whatever position is I hold. You know, I, I understand this. This isn't a matter of, of making a big deal out of myself. You come to understand what your circumstances are. If you're Karima and you're flying commercial, you need the aisle on the bulkhead because you're seven foot two. That doesn't mean you think you're more important than the person in the coach. You just know the reality of your existence. I know that in reality, what I say here and elsewhere is likely to gain more attention than someone saying the same thing or something even more insightful and who has less visibility. So that gives me a great opportunity if I use it wisely, but it also makes it incumbent upon me not to use it irresponsibly, not just for my own sake, but for the sake of whatever it is I'm contributing to the public conversation about whatever the subject is. And, Bob, I agree with that, and I respect it probably more than you even realize. I wish that everybody else in the sports media had the same rules and perspective because I believe the sports media is, and the media in general is broken badly broken. I mean, do, and the fact that Bob Costas is not a, a, as big a part of that environment as, as you used to be is an indication of just how broken it is. If everybody was Bob Costas on this story, I believe eventually it would have been fixed. Do, do, you, do you share my concerns about the nature of the media in general and the sports media in particular and how it may have related to this case? Well, you know, I have and have never really had uh, an investigative unit at my beck and call. Um, you can only do what you're equipped to do. Um, when an interview presents itself, you try to be well-informed, you ask the right When there's a moment that allows for commentary, as occasionally happens, you hope that you craft something uh, that is that is credible and pertinent. This is not 60 Minutes. It's not even HBO Real Sports. So, in fairness, most of us, outside the lines, ESPN's outside the lines, Bob Lee, this is in sports television, have had the wherewithal and the, the mission to do that sort of thing. Uh, I've never had that uh, at any point in my career. Uh, but to your earlier observation, I'm not necessarily done yet. Um, I'm, I'm done with things that people saw me in the largest numbers, for the most part, uh, 
but I, I haven't retired, uh, and there are things to come in the future. I'm glad to hear that. And uh, and in the future, Bob, uh, you can be sure I'm going to continue to communicate with you because I'm not done. I'm not giving up on convincing you uh, because I, I know I'm right. I think you know that I'm confident that I'm right. And I'm confident yeah. I'm confident in your uh, ability to discern facts and reality and be fair, which I have always respected. And so I look forward to continuing that effort uh, and in whatever way it may transpire. Yeah, that's fine. And in my the bottom line here is. The clarification is I am open to a lot of information, but I have not reached any such conclusion, and I wouldn't even say I'm leaning toward any such conclusion. Fair enough. Bob, I think that is a mark of a good journalist, and you are exactly what I think that you are. That that person, using terms like seems plausible, I'm open to the idea. I think we are now in an environment where even journalists aren't open to ideas. And I've been doing this for a long time. And I know that we always, even when it looks a certain way, a journalist has to keep their mind and their eyes open for what the truth is. And I appreciate that very, very much. And I appreciate very much that you took time to talk to us and explain to us where you are on this. And it actually gives me hope that, um, that, that the most important thing is what, what is the truth that's out there. So thanks a lot. Thanks, John. Thanks, Bob. John. Every time you presented a theory to Bob just there, he opened up his mind and said, that seems plausible, or whatever. I was looking for my notes here to use the terminology. The point of this is, Bob Costas, who was involved in this story in a huge way, didn't ever say to you, no way is that possible. No way is that true. You know, and like a true journalist, as I was saying, he said that's possible. So in other words, there's more to be done. Questions can be asked. You're, you're determined to convince everybody, but I think the first thing you need to convince people is keep your mind open. This is another way to look at this. This is a possibility. And that's the only way you get forward with this type of thing. I was very interested in a lot of what Bob had to say. Uh, it was it was very close to what he has told me in our uh, phone conversations uh, just before this interview. I think he is a good faith actor. I think he's yes, been, that's very important. Uh, unlike most uh, people in the sports media, uh, I think that um, he is open-minded, and that's really what I should have said it, it originally. Although I'm glad I didn't, because otherwise we wouldn't have gotten the Bob Costas interview. <laughs> that's kind of the weird Which, part again, of the, part he, of this. Because no, he's just so extraordinary. He didn't get angry with us. He didn't. He said. I'm going to clarify this. Right. This is the this is the true journalist of his stature, and it's inc- really that's a great thing. But the weird part of this is my original belief about Bob Costas is that I'm I uh, was I'm certain that he's open to the idea that Jerry could be uh, innocent, or at least legally not guilty, because there is a difference there in in definitions. I I think that Bob is a little hung up on this idea that he thinks, well, I don't have enough information. No, I think that's responsible, John, because I I have to take the leap with you as I do this, that you are 100%, like, or at least very close to being your your investigation. Like, I just have to really trust you. I had to put a lot of faith in what you're saying to go here. So I disagree with what you're saying because I I am a journalist. And if I really want to step back and be that, like Bob is, it is, oh, well, you know what? I don't know all the facts in this. I don't. I trust you to give me the facts. I'm trusting you to give me right. the facts. What if you're wrong? What if you screwed up? What if you didn't see it quite the right way? What if you're convinced that you need to convince me so much that it's blurring your vision? 
Well, that's a whole different story. We, no, we, that's we why talk, Bob's we, talking about we, that, we, and I'm but, giving you perspective okay. on it. No, and I, the perspective is, I, I, I'm not blind. I'm giving you, I'm, I'm believing in your investigative work. And you should, because I'm right. But and it's not because see, see how and, you answer. And it's not yeah, because yeah. Well, I, Bob Costas doesn't know you, and, and you know I've always okay. said that when I catch you in one thing, I'm doomed. Right? Like in terms of, right. I really have trusted you on this stuff. And right. And just to get back to the Bob Costas interview, which is the far more important element. Of, I'm giving you of the this. perspective right. of a journalist on a story. And I get it. To me, the, the groundbreaking. Thirty years, I more than thirty years. I'm giving you that perspective. Go ahead. The groundbreaking thing. The groundbreaking element of this interview is giving the details of how the Sandusky interview transpired. I thought it fascinating, that, that, huh? that it was Joe Amendola's idea, that uh, that Bob goes further in agreeing with my theory than he did in any of my other theories when, uh, when, I, when I posed to him the idea that Amendola was both enamored as well as overconfident, and that's why you give up Jerry Sandusky on an unprepared phone interview. I cannot emphasize enough. I said it during the interview with Bob, but it is not the act. It's either the act of a complete lunatic or it's an act of a lawyer who very confidently believes his client is innocent. The the guilty guy does not offer up uh, a phone interview unprepared with Bob Costas. Now, it backfired spectacularly. I believe largely because Amendola didn't want to step in and 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 potentially offend Bob Costas. He's sitting literally right next to Bob Costas right. while the interview is happening. I know you and think he, that. And he doesn't. He does not want to jeopardize this relationship he's creating with NBC and Bob Costas. Okay, but this is and, all beside the point because when it's all beside the point, Jerry Sandusky said what he said. That's the only point. And I've explained why that doesn't mean he's guilty. I, I know fact, that's yeah, I know. And in fact, I believe it far, goes far more towards his his innocence, his naivete, his potential asexuality, uh, his inability to to understand what what he was going through. And anybody his who shock. works with sexual abuse victims just scoffs at any okay, of that. Well, when you know the underlying facts, see, everything about this case was out of order. All right. Bob was doing a very good interview, but Bob would be the first to tell you he didn't know the nature of the allegations against him. He didn't know the identities of these accusers. He didn't know any of their credibility problems, their conflicts of interest, their relationships with Sandusky. He knew nothing about this. And and that's why I don't think Bob gives, he gave a little bit of credibility, but not enough in my view to this question I posed to him about if you don't buy the cover-up, how do you buy the crime? Because remember, when this interview was happening, this is so significant. Joe Paterno is already fired, okay? Graham Spanier is already fired. In, in Bob Costas's mind, that's a guilty plea by Penn State. Why would Penn State plead guilty to something they didn't think or know happened? So in his mind, he doesn't, he may not even realize this, but in his mind, his view that Jerry is likely guilty is based in the cover-up theory. But without the cover where, where up, where did he give a view that Jerry's guilty just by asking I'm, I'm, him, "Are you, uh, you know, sexually attracted to young boys?" That's he's no, right. When no, I asked him where did the question come from, it was a straightforward no, question to ask. Again, I don't want. That doesn't give a view. I, I, well, <laughs> the to be very fair to Bob, and I've been, I've said this consistently. Bob actually in the interview, if you watch the whole thing, does 
provide the possibility that Jerry Sandusky is simply the unluckiest man in the world. Yes, he does. He says that, mm-hmm. um, which happens to be true. And I've complimented Bob privately for having said that, and that I've said he, history is going to judge that part of the interview exceedingly well, because that's what happened. He was the most unlucky man on the planet, and all sorts of other things were going on. But I think you're missing my point about, more... about the mindset that everybody had at the time of the interview. At the time of the interview, Paterno is fired, Grand Spanier is fired, the two administrators are indicted. There's this, this per, there's the presumption of a Penn State cover-up, which is greatly, understandably, clouding everyone's view. Oh, my God, Jerry cloud, must be gil- guilty. where did it cloud Bob Costas' view in that uh, interview? Well, I think that he said, I don't he, think it he did. said himself that his view of, of Sandusky's guilt is based largely on his own interaction with Sandusky. After, after right? right? But, but, but as he was doing the interview, I'm not sure he sounded like he was thought he was guilty. He asked him straightforward questions. Okay. If we had gotten into it, which we did not have time to do so, and, I, and we'd asked him specifically about the accusers themselves, Bob would have said, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't, wasn't at the trial. I didn't read their testimony because his interest, understandably, has been on the paterno Penn State aspect of this. So when he says, I don't have enough information, that's what he means. But it is remarkable, and I think this cannot be lost, it is remarkable that the man most associated with the public perception of Jerry Sandusky's guilt, Bob Costas, is willing to publicly say he's open to the idea that he could be innocent and and that it is plausible that that the the scenarios that I outlined with regard to the perfect storm and the media and Amendola's role in this it is all theoretically I think he said theoretically uh, you know more possible plausible whatever words he used that is that's is amazing that 10 years later even Bob Costas is willing to say that publicly which is a level of risk, especially in this case, that is tremendous. Now, Bob, to his credit, says, look, I would say it if I believed it. That has not been my experience with other high-profile people. Okay. Right? And, 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 okay. And, 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 and I've told— We don't want to get the story wrong. I mean, no. we as journalists, not you and me, mm. just we as the general journalists, we don't want to get the story wrong. So sometimes journalists might fight back on that level. But, right. Bob, like you said, the other thing I thought was interesting is he, he doesn't. He never had an investigative unit at his disposal. He's never been able to look into these things himself. And the only way he's going to trust saying that out loud in public is when he can do that type of Of course. Of and, and just to finish the thought on— uh, on Bob and and whether or not he would state his true public opinions, uh, you know, in in a public forum, and I've told Bob this. I said, Bob, part of my interpretation of our interaction is that I've learned to decipher code language, and Bob even kind of refers to it there in our interactions over the years, where where my dealings with. For instance, Malcolm Gladwell and other very high-profile people in private, no one is ever going to put on the record, I believe Jerry Sadusky is innocent. They're never going to do that in any sort of documentable way. No. Uh, and so, I, and I explained this to Bob. I said, Bob, I must, I probably interpreted our interaction through that prism. And he understood that. He understood that 
okay, if that's what I've been living for the last 10 years, that I need to come up with a way to decipher code language among high-profile people on this case, that's why, that was the basis of my statement. But I have to tell you that I am as confident in my initial perception of Bob Costas' view on this case now, after speaking to him in an interview with you and speaking to him in the, on the phone twice in preparation for this interview, than I was when I made the inaccurate statement in episode eight. I just misstated it. And so uh, it, I, I am still convinced that if, you know, if I had to script it now, if Bob Costas was on, I would love Bob Costas to have been on Jerry Sandusky's jury. Let me put it that way. That probably would have been the best way to put it because I think Bob Costas uh, would have been a very fair person to, to look at it all. And my guess is it's a guess that if he knew all the information and went and sat there and, 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 been, and provided the other side of the story that he probably would have voted not guilty. Now, he may call me back again and go, that's, that's not true either, John, but that's not, I'm, I'm providing that he would get more information. That's my faith you in... Have to, that's a really interesting thing you said because according to everything you said, the actual jury that convicted him didn't get all the information. Well, that's true. They did okay, not. so you can put Bob Costas on anything you want, but the original jury should have been, should have heard... Uh, a better a better case put on. Joe Amendola should have been given more time or he should have been, he tried to get himself off the case. That judge was the one who didn't allow justice to occur, okay? Now, had that judge allowed for it to continue, for a better lawyer to be put on the case, for other things to happen, you wouldn't even have some of these arguments that you have, right? So Bob Costas could be on that jury. Anybody could be on that jury, it was there was a miscarriage of justice. I, I think it needs another look for that reason. That you can't put a right. trial like that on with a guy and, who can't do it, who doesn't know how to question those type of people. And, you by, know? and by the way, Bob alludes to the idea that, and, and, and this goes to him not obviously for good reason, being in touch with all the details of the case. He theorizes that Amendola's role in this could be part of Jerry Sandusky's appeal with in yeah, effect of cancel. He did. What I don't think Bob knows is that. That interview with Bob Costas and Jerry Sandusky has been part of that exact appeal process. And? Well, I I would have loved for this interview we just did with Bob Costas to be able to have been presented to court at that time. Now, I, I don't think... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just said it was part of the appeal process already. So what what happened? They rejected yes, it as... Yes, but how did, they, how did but, it come up? Because Jerry's lawyers presented in, in a myriad of other issues trying to prove that Amendola was ineffective counsel. Yes. They raised the issue of how he provided Bob Costas with the interview. Okay. And it would have been great at that time to have Bob Costas's right. perspective on this. Right. Because, so so, because so what's goes, wrong with Jerry's second team of attorneys that they didn't get well, Bob Costas involved in that? Okay. Or NBC involved in that? I, I have... No idea oh, yeah. why or why not hmm. they didn't uh, ask Bob Costas to give a statement. I didn't even ask Bob Costas to do an interview for this podcast because I didn't think he would do one because I didn't think he would want 
the, the trouble, the risk, that his, his time was too valuable. So it's, it's remarkable that this interview took place basically because I made a minor mistake in characterizing uh, yeah. his, his view uh, of the case. I'm glad it did because he's just shed light, one, on his true opinions, two, on what really happened with Amendola, and three, I do think it's important that he, is, he has changed his mind about the free report. And, and yeah. that, that, that can't be stated enough. No, I agree. And I then agree. the final thing, which we, we both saw, Slobbered all over him at the end, uh, but well, Rachel, I, both, and, and by the way, so, I don't regret that and don't really care that it be characterized like that. Bob at least does do that. That is but, responsible, right? I I am sincere. okay. Who cares that he was my idol when I was twenty? But uh, <laughs> but anyway, I am sincere in my my uh, concern that there are no Bob Costases left in the sports media. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and if there were Bob Costases left he named in, a few. In, in the sports media, then I think this story would have had a shot at, one, not getting completely out of control, and two, being corrected. But it can't because the sports media is totally broken now. Can I say that, one one more thing? The one thing he did end on, he said that he – the thing that he will say that he did not believe – that, that this idea that Joe Paterno, uh, you know, was negligent and it should throw out his entire history at Penn State. He does not believe that should happen. I would just like to point out that that's how that was my stepping off point to come into this podcast. You got me to the point where I said to myself, you're right. I don't think Joe Paterno, after everything you presented, I don't think Joe Paterno is guilty of that to where he should, his statue should come down and we should vilify the man, okay? That's the point I got to. And I was no fan of Joe Paterno on a football level, right? I got to that point. That's a good starting point, okay? Because it got me in, in the room to listen to the rest of it and create the doubt in my mind and create the circumstances where I went, whoa, 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 whoa what went on in this? So... It's a good it's a good place to start. And I'm not going to stop with Bob. I'm going to continue uh, until he tells me to stop, which he might. But uh, I believe that uh, I, I, convinc- I can convince Bob Costas. I've convinced other people uh, in his realm, uh, very close to his realm, by the way. Uh, and I, I believe I will be able to eventually do so uh, with Bob Costas. But we thank him for his time. Uh, there were a little bit of some technical difficulties with the phone connection for some reason. But I hopefully people uh, got the, the full appreciation for the magnitude of of what he brings to the table on this particular story because it cannot be emphasized enough that it was the Bob Costas interview with Jerry Sandusky that was the final nail in the coffin of the public opinion regarding uh, Jerry Sandusky's guilt. I would submit, though, that that coffin was already pretty nailed up by the time that the Costas interview occurred because of Joe Paterno and Graham Spanier being fired and because of the media firestorm that created that and ensued after that. But but thank you to Bob Costas for clarifying the record. We're all about the truth. And anybody we mention on this podcast is welcome, is welcome to contact me. And if appropriate, we'll do an interview with you too.